You're listening to the Platte River Bard. Today we talk with Hank Stratton. Hank is the director of the Johnny Carson School of Theater and Film and executive director of the Nebraska Repertory Theater. Hank comes to Lincoln from the University of Arizona, where he was head of the acting and musical theater and the artistic director of the Arizona Repertory Theater. A graduate of the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art, Stratton has served as a guest artist for leading educational institutions around the country, including master classes at UCLA, the University of Michigan, and San Diego State University. He has acted for the Royal Shakespeare Company's Complete Works Festival and was recently awarded the Gerald J. Swanson Prize for Teaching Excellence at the University of Arizona. Uh, now, Hank is a co-founding instructor for Five Days of Broadway, where students of all experience levels from ages 11 to 19 are coached in musical theater performance and technique by some of the industry's leading professional artists and educators. He is a member of the Screen Actors Guild, the American Federation of TV and Radio Artists, Actors' Equity Association, American Guild of Musical Artists, SAG-AFTRA, Musical Theater Educators Alliance, and the Society of Stage Directors and Choreographers. Now, Hank... Hank is one of those actors that you may not be able to call him by name, but you will know him when you see him because he has been all over TV since the 1980s. Some of his credits include Perfect Strangers, MacGyver, Saved by the Bell, and Murder, She Wrote. But also, he was on Beverly Hills 90210, Frasier, ER, NYPD Blue, The Closer, Desperate Housewives, The Unit, and Hawaii Five O, just to name a few more. And, and if you're like me... You may have recognized him from the 1988 movie Demon Warp. I'm just saying. (laughs) Hank also starred in the Broadway revival and the following PBS onstage television film adaptation of The Man Who Came to Dinner, opposite Nathan Lane and Gene Smart. And he has a story about that play that involves his mom that's just about the funniest thing I've ever heard. So... Sit back and enjoy Sherry and I's interview with Hank Stratton. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Platte River Bard. This is Chris Berger. And I'm Sherry Berger. And we are here today with Hank Stratton. He is the director of the Johnny Carson School of Theater and Film and the executive director of the Nebraska Repertory Theater He's also an actor that you you have seen before. As soon as you see his picture on this podcast, you will know this guy. He's been in all kinds of stuff. Many credits to his name. Oh, my gosh. And he's done such a wide variety of things over his professional career. Uh, it's such uh, an honor to be able to talk with you today. And congratulations on your new positions. Hey, welcome to Nebraska. Lincoln. Welcome to Nebraska. Yes. Thank you so much. I love that everybody that I meet says, welcome to Nebraska. And you know what else? They mean it. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> yeah. There's such sincerity and warmth here. I'm, I'm having a great time. I've officially... Um, marked my sixth week on the job. So I've got it all down. I figured it all out. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) We're really happy. And we're happy that you're here. I know that I know that they were in a little, you know, they were going through a period of time where they weren't 
sure what they were going to do, and now you're finally here, so this is great. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and, and we've got some exciting um, programming coming up. We've got great plans for the school, a more integrated approach to what live performance is that, that is in step with what's actually happening in the industry and training 21st century artists to work in that industry in mm. all kinds of modalities, theater, film, um, emerging media arts, uh, I just had a very exciting trip to London. It was a fact-finding uh, trip where we met with truly the thought leaders in digital arts, mm. in media arts, in storytelling. Um, I have to I have to give a nod to Industrial Light and Magic because ABBA Voyage is one of the best things I've ever seen. Oh, no, yeah? No discredit to anyone that is living, but those holograms are awesome. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but th those are all the kinds of things that we're doing at the Center, the Center for Emerging Media Arts, which is also Ooh. part of the Johnny Carson School of Theater and Film, and just finding those ways of collaborating live performance and emerging media arts all in the same place, because we're all storytellers. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. That method has been integrating itself into theater as well. Slowly but surely, you see it more and more and more. And I noticed well, even, yeah. even in your season, the shows that you're doing kind of feels that way. As well, it's very it's very everyday everyday man kind of situation. Absolutely, I mean we want to open the season with something that's going to be a, a, a little Valentine to the community mm -hmm. and a nod to great literature. Um, mm -hmm. I I happen to think that Jane Austen's Sense and Sensibility is one of the best rom coms that was ever written yeah. ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly what we're trying to put on stage. So it's a little Valentine, but it is a labor of love, and it's buoyant and funny and heartbreaking. The students have an opportunity to work along with actors, equity actors, um, mm -hmm. the the professional union. So we have two guest artists who are just knocking it out of the park, and are really functioning as teaching artists as well, which is one of the mission statements of. The, of the Nebraska Repertory Theater, that it is the practical classroom and the outward-facing expression of what we're doing during the day in the studio. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. So are you teaching any classes, or will people just see you in isn't auditions? That the, isn't that the $64,000 question? <laughs> it, is very, it is very strange not to be in the classroom yeah. for the first time in like 10 years. Oh, wow, I, uh, yeah, because you were teaching down in Arizona, correct? Yeah, so, I mean, my my journey to, to uh, university life and this professorship that I find myself in was purely accidental. I, I was convinced that I would break students and I would ruin lives and <laughs> create create more drama in the classroom than I would um, on stage. But it was actually, it felt like a really natural fit. And I had reached a point in my career, and I, I appreciate all the nice things that you had said, where I was just looking for a little more creative um, uh, muscle. Mm -hmm. I, it's, not, it's not that I was dissatisfied. It's going to make me sound ungrateful. And, and I, I, I absolutely know the privileged position that I continue to be in as an actor. And I love it. I love, I love being on set. I love being on stage. There's nothing that can replicate the community that you find between creative artists when they gather together in person to mm -hmm. do something. Right. Yes. Um, but I just wanted a little more agency. And all of a sudden, I, I was asked to guest direct at the University of Michigan and uh, for their very esteemed musical theater program and did a couple of workshops and some coaching and all of that, which put me on the radar of the University of Arizona. And they offered me a couple of guest directing jobs because I was freelance directing. And then after that, um, the director of the school at the time said, I think this would be a really good place for you. We'd like to offer you a tenured leading position. 
Mm-hmm. And my daughter was in high school at the time. And I said, I, it's absolutely a non-starter for me. She's got two more years of high school. Yeah. And they made it really hard for me to say no when he said, well, we'll hold it for you. Wow. And I was like, hmm, I wonder what the universe is telling me. The, the universe is telling me to, to pack my bags and go to the desert and maybe try out this teaching thing. And that yeah. led into artistic directorship of the Arizona Repertory Theater, mm-hmm. which then led me to where I am now of being the school director for the Johnny Carson School. I look after the Ross, um, the yeah. Ross Theater that we have here and, and, and the Nebraska Rep. That's wonderful. And you actually had a mentor up in Michigan as well. My mentor at Michigan was um, the great Brent Wagner. Not a day goes by where I don't <laughs> think, what would Brent Wagner do? Um, he, he started the programs at Syracuse. He built this incredible mm. training program uh, at, in Ann Arbor. And he just whisper quiet with all the heavy lifting that he did behind the scenes. And I just, I've, I've met great mentors along the way. And I've been very fortunate to have a lot of support. Um, the the current dean of the College of Fine Arts was one of my great mentors and my collaborator at the University of Arizona, which is how I ended up here. When the position opened up, he said, hey, I think this might be a good fit for you. But I learn every day on the job with him. And he feels more like a collaborator than he does, um, you know, like mm-hmm. my boss. Yay. He's essentially my boss. But sure. really, he, he, he engenders such a collaborative environment for all of us. And all the directors feel that, w- that way. All of his staff feels that way. Mm. He's amazing. His name is Andy Belzer. He's an, an incredible theater artist and filmmaker of his own right. Mm. Um, and, but Brent Wagner was a, was a huge influence for me. In addition to all of the professors and the, and the sure. great theater artists that I trained with when I was in London for four years when I was a young actor. Yeah, because yeah, you, you graduated from... Uh... Well, you left Yale for London. I did, I did, yeah. It's like, well, I, okay. I, 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 turned, I turned further right on my way to Yale. I just kept going, so I sort of like <laughs> yeah. drove through New Haven. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> just kept going. Yeah. All the way through. Yeah, so, I mean, and my mother never let me forget that I, well... You know, yeah. My mother never let me forget that I did not go to UCLA and Yale, which were the two universities that I was trying to way behind. But what I did is behind their backs is that I auditioned for all these drama schools. And I thought, mm-hmm. well, I'll never get in. Well, I got into all of them. So yeah. then I picked and, you know, begged and begged and begged. And I, I worked long hours and, and it was the best of times and the worst of times. Sure. It was truly like exactly the right artistic move for me. Oh, yeah. Man. Did she ever come to be okay with it then she's she saw. oh yeah oh you know my mom yeah your mom oh yeah here yeah let me talk to you about my mom so my mom my mom my mother just passed away in 2022 oh, i had the great privilege of being able to take care of both my parents mm-hmm. during the pandemic and and nice. help them transition to the next place where they're now resting comfortably and probably listening to this podcast going i never said that mm-hmm. um but i said something to my mom Mom, in just the last year of her life, and I said, I know you wanted me to go to and fill in the blank. And she stopped me and she said, I never wanted you to do anything other than follow your heart. Mm. And you wouldn't be the person and the man and the professor and the actor that you are today if you hadn't done exactly that. And I was like, okay, don't cry. Don't cry. But that was my mom. So you know what? I mean, if anyone is out there listening and feeling like they're not getting support from their moms Mm -hmm. and their dads and all of that, they come around. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. They, need, they, they need time to regroup too, because her fantasy for me was not what my fantasy was for me, but she, sure. she right. did come around. <laughs> totally. It's totally. So, it's so common of a story though, and they probably just don't, a lot of people don't think to say it. So that's nice that she yeah. did. Yep. Well, mom just wants you to be successful and happy. And well, as, in the end, I think as long as that happens, eh, they come around. I think you managed yeah, on the successful sure. part just fine. <laughs> well, that's what she said. Finally, you know, yeah. I mean, but but can I just tell us since she's not here to contradict yeah. me, and this is a really yeah. true story. This is a true story. There I am on Broadway with yeah. my name above the title and I'm taking my parents to Joe Allen. Right. To famous, you know, like bistro. In, in the part of the theater district and we're, you know, we're sitting underneath all the posters of all the flop shows, you know, which was the trope there at Joe Allen. It still is. Yeah. And we're digging into our burgers in between shows. And my mother says, well, now that the show's open, I think that you should look into an online real estate license oh, because you gosh. never know. You need something to back. And I'm like, mom, you just saw me on Broadway with Gene Smart and Nathan Lane. And now you're telling oh, me to get a God. real estate license. <laughs> My name is literally in lights on Mom, Broadway. Mom, I can't do any better than this. <laughs> this is as good as it's getting. <laughs> oh, oh, my god! hilarious. She denied that story. I love that. But what was it like working with them? Oh, awesome. I mean, you walk into a room like that and you just, you, you feel like you're on the court with, you know, Nadal and, you know, Rafa, you're just, you're just playing yeah. tennis with just the, the best of the best. And, yeah. um, the, the breathtaking thing about working at that level is that they inspire you to do great work. I mean, the great Jerry Zaks mm, was the director yeah. and every time I wanted to disagree with him, I would remember that he had four Tonys and I had zero. So <laughs> I would go ahead and accept the line reading. I would, you know, but they, when he would mm -hmm. put his hands around my, uh, around my shoulders and say booby 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 what is it and he would like be leading you towards a line reading i would just remember mm -hmm. to, to humble myself and actually take the note mm -hmm. but i'll tell yeah. you that when i walked into mm -hmm. the first staging rehearsal with nathan lane and he was playing the great sheridan whiteside and the man who came to dinner he was mm -hmm. off book wow day one yeah. Yeah. And I'm holding my yeah. script, yeah. you know, I've got like, oh, I've got yeah. 30 minutes of stage time and he has three hours and yep. he was <laughs> off book. I mean, I'm slightly mm -hmm. underestimating my importance in that show, but um, he well, was he, off book yeah. and I and I learned a lot. And that was like learning on my feet in this professional environment, like going, this is the expectation. This is the level that we're working yeah. at. For yeah. sure. It was it was thrilling and fantastic, and I I knew Jean Jean Smart, the great Jean Smart. She's Look awesome. at the work mm. she's oh, doing. She's awesome. Look yeah. at the work she's doing, and in the yeah. in the face of a lot of you know loss, she lost her husband in the last couple of years, but she's just triumphing, right. and she's just such right. a deft, empathic, funny, brave actor. But she was a friend of mine from Los Angeles, so when we were doing a play mm. in New York together, it felt like we were like homies, you know, the sort of like yeah, yeah, cool. yeah it was great. But it was awesome. awesome. It was a real pr privilege. And then we were able to film that for public television, um, hosted by mm -hmm. Natasha Richardson and Liam Neeson for this series yes. called, you know, it was, an, a, it was on stage series, yeah. the PBS. Yeah, PBS did that on stage series. Yeah, that was cool. I saw several of those. I was all and, and the director... The director was Jay Sandrich, who did all the Mary Tyler Moore shows. Yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. Incredible. Yeah, he sat on the on the in the trailer in the 
in the control booth for a week outside on 43rd Street while Jerry Zachs was sitting next to him and running into the theater going, we're going to have to readjust <laughs> the, the blocking and, you know, stuff like that for just for the cool. camera. But what a thrill. It was the first time they'd done it. It was their oh, inaugural wow. production. That's amazing. And I remember watching Gene Smart and Designing Women and then just here recently some science fiction. She can just do everything. Oh, oh yeah. She, she, she's one of those actresses. I mean, she, she can just do anything. She's so good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, her work on hacks yeah. and, you know, just the, all, the, all the rest of the, the great work that she's doing right now. She's a great mm-hmm. actor. So you've been to the places that your students want to go. So yeah. you're a good resource to tell them what things they need to work on or what their strengths are or what their strengths aren't? I think it's really important that we model and mirror the professional expectations. Um, and oftentimes a student, and this, there is no pejorative here, there is no right or wrong path for any one student or any one actor, but sometimes they get into the trenches or into rehearsal or, or deep into the curriculum and they find that it's not making them happy. And if it's not making you happy, you shouldn't do it. I think that's true of any discipline. But truly, this, the students that, that tend to respond to me when I'm recruiting a, a new candidate for a training program tend to want to, in the way that we were just talking off off camera, or not off camera, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at you guys <laughs> on a Zoom call, forgive me. We were talking off mic about all the careers that I admired and how I wanted to model myself on those. And I feel really privileged yeah. that there are some students that are looking towards my career and wondering how I did it. And I can give them that in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But also being mindful that in this day, we are meeting a moment where we are responding to crises that were ignored before when we were when I, I'm assuming that we're all around the same age that when we were in college there was a yeah. there was a disregard for mental health and some wellness mm. and some yeah. some best practices that are mm-hmm. really being demanded not only in the industry but definitely in academia right now and we're trying to meet that moment sure. really well while maintaining high standards professional rigor uh artistic expectations and and you know the minute you take your foot off the gas with expecting any of those from the students you will hear about it you will hear about it i have had yeah. students mm. say um hold me accountable yeah. yeah because i i would assume their fragility and they would come to me and say oh no hold me accountable yeah and i love that i that tells me that that's mm-hmm. an artist yes and they're there for exactly the right reasons for the right thing for sure. And the, and the two of you are actors and theater artists and stage managers and producers and board members and all of that. You know firsthand the difference between, oh, it's good enough tonight and it's not good enough. Do you know what yes. I mean? Yes. So, and, I'm not, yes. and I'm not trying to engender or support perfectionism, but I am saying no. that the day that I walk into the rehearsal or the performance and I say, I'm done, I'm cooked, I think I should hang up my character shoes. Mm. I just yeah. don't think that's, I don't think yeah. that that's good art. No, 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 yeah. not at all. No. I think it's great to bring your best. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that was There's a misunderstanding of the great depth of talent that is all over the country and all over the world. And I've had the great yes. privilege of working regionally. And you'll walk into these markets, whether they're Atlanta or Austin or Washington, D.C., Boston, wherever it is, Los Angeles, Seattle, you will find an 
absolutely deep pool of talent. And I'm talking yes. about artists and I'm talking about actors and singers and musicians. It always makes me think of that Joni Mitchell song for free, you know, that mm. I slept last mm. night in a good hotel and he's playing for yes. real good for free, you know? <laughs> and and I'm yeah. not saying that anyone here is working for free because I believe that artists should be paid. <laughs> but, yes, yes, please. But... But there's, there is a misunderstanding about regional markets, and it's one of the reasons that we can mm. shoot locally in Nebraska or if it's in Atlanta, that there are there's real talent out there. You don't have to go to the coast. Absolutely. I mean, that's what I wanted no. to do. I sort of like really aim my arrow high, and I encourage students to do that, especially when they're young. It's like... You know, you're not going to want to live like a puppy when you're 40. You're going to want to do that when you're 25. You can live in a shoebox, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. give it a shot because somebody gets the job. I know the odds are stacked against you, but why not you? It's one of my catchphrases. It's like, well, if somebody, there are too many people that are auditioning for this. And it's like, yeah, and they're going to pick one. Why not you? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Why couldn't it be you? Yeah, exactly. Why shouldn't it be you? you? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, but, But that's true. Yeah, and if I could, I mean, I'm so embarrassed by your your long introduction about about me, but I also want to to nod towards the colleagues that I have here in the Emerging Media Arts sure. Center. I mean, we have incredible depth of talent here. That's like anywhere from like NASA engineers to MIT professors to oh my god, the, yes. the research that's going on here. But the 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 same is true in the theater school as well. That We've got a cohort of working professionals that are modeling that that experience every day and bringing their depth of experience, uh, not only in academic theater and in academics, but also in the professional workplace too. Absolutely, I'm really, pri- I'm very, very privileged. It's one of the reasons that I came here. Well, and we've been up there several times, and we've talked to several different folks up there, and we talked to Tim about all the different uh, theater people they have, and they. Oh, yeah, so-and-so used to do this and worked on this show and worked on this Broadway thing and blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, they're a professor sure. here. And, yeah, and it's like, it's it just constantly amazed. Oh, and they got Hank. Well, of course they got like somebody like that <laughs> because it makes sense. They have been uh, amassing all of these people with this huge sort of depth of experience, which well, is... Oh, being and, and I look on. at the yeah to all the students for sure. And just to build on that, I'm I'm looking at the legacy of the Nebraska Repertory Theater, and I'm looking at the directors and the designers and the actors that have worked there because I have access to all those files. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going, oh my gosh, I didn't know that you know X, Y, and Z. I did. I, yeah. I, I can't even turn a page without recognizing so many names wow. and being so yeah. feeling so fortunate to be part of that legacy and knowing that my friends have come here before and I've I've received. A, a huge amount of support outpouring of, of texts and phone calls saying, Oh, I worked there in fill in the blank of the year or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, we're so excited for you. They're so lucky to have you. You're lucky to have them. Aww. All of it. It's just been, it's just been nice. incredible. And if I could just talk about Johnny Carson for just a second. Oh, I mean, please. Yes. I'm, that is a thrill to be sitting at a desk <laughs> with his, you know, they, they, they have the coffee mug from the Tonight Show oh. on the desk of the director of the Johnny Carson School. Do they I've really like, got that? that. Yes. Oh, yes. I'm so, so jealous. I'm like oh, Instagramming it all Carson. the time because John, Johnny Carson, actually, if you really look at this, Johnny Carson was, um, was a, 
a, a tastemaker. He was a career maker. He forged yes, the careers yeah. of unknowns that mm-hmm. we now are our common household names like Jerry Seinfeld yes. by inviting him them to the sofa, right? Yep. And in a way, we're doing that yeoman's work as well of like matriculating and bringing in young artists and 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 curating their talent and telling them that they can do it, giving them a start, whether it's a four year start or a four minute start in the case of the tonight show. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is a real privilege. It is. It is. And the foundation has been extremely supportive, extremely generous. Um, I'm meeting them in Los Angeles uh, in October and I can't wait to shake all of their hands and thank them for their support of the arts. For sure. And carrying on Johnny's legacy because he loved the school and it Mm -hmm. changed his life. And he wanted to make sure that it changed other people's lives that grew up in, you know, also paying heed to the land grant mission statement that we have here at the University of Nebraska Lincoln. Sure has. I just get very impassioned about it and a little tear. No, it's true. It's true. And it's very meaningful when you have folks who, for lack of a better term, folks who know what they're talking about say, hey, you can do this, you know, Ah. you're good at this. Absolutely to that. Mm -hmm. I I owe a huge debt of gratitude and thanks to those that believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. Oh, God, yes. And those were mostly mentors and teachers and classmates and cast members and, you know, anyone from Elton John to, you know, Anne-Marie McMiniman, who was my drama teacher in high school, you know. So Mm. I just really, you know, it's like... It, that's part of why, why I love what I do because I feel like I'm paying that back yeah. and paying it forward yeah. at the same time. Absolutely. This beautiful season of Sense and Sensibility, Mr. Burns, we're doing a beautiful Annie Baker play called The Flick. And then we're ending with a musical that is a collaboration between the Glencore School of Music um, and the Johnny Carson School, both sides of the street, the Emerging Media Arts and the Theater School. Um, this musical is going to come together as a, as a labor of love and a collaboration between those three producing entities, those stakeholders. Um, it's going to be beautifully designed with projections and a full orchestra and all of it. So I'm really, really excited. It's a beautiful piece if you've never seen it. I've seen the movie. It's Big Fish. Uh, I've seen the movie a long time ago, probably around the time it came out. It's been that long. I have not seen the play, or the musical, rather. It's a gorgeous score by Andrew Lippa. And, um, yeah, and he, he's actually an acquaintance, so I'm, I'm hopefully going to be able to convince him to talk to some of the students um, via Zoom. Because, you know, one of the things that the pandemic taught us is that there's connectivity all over the globe. So, (laughs) yes, um, we can we can Zoom people in and it's very influential and very impactful. Yeah, we've spoken to some writers over the last year or two that sort of started happening with them and they're really fine with it people seem to be hesitant to to reach out and they're like no yeah please do yeah people think you can't ask yeah like you can ask oh they'll never they'll never call me back it's like how do you know make the call yeah send the email the worst thing you'll say you'd be surprised how we love to talk about ourselves don't we (laughs) you ask a writer to talk about their work of course they're going to yes they're going to want to tell you about it but Mm -hmm. Totally, totally. So we're starting off the season with Sense and Sensibility, and we're ending it with Big Fish. This is the Sense and Sensibility. This is a a newer adaptation by Kate Hamill. 
I think it was done around 2016. So a newer adaptation. Absolutely. And and it's it's a beautiful I mean, with total respect to yeah. the original source material. It's just it's episodic. It's almost cinematic in, in her adaptation. It's all on the page. And what we're trying to do is realize that in the production, not only in the production values, the the set is flexible. I don't want to give anything away. Sure, sure. It's it's incredibly designed. It's it's. I mean, the students are doing such good work. They're rising up to those professional standards that we're setting for them. Um, uh, it's beautifully directed. Um, the sound design is coming into place fantastically. The co- we're adding costumes on Saturday. I can't wait to see um, all of those cool. designs as Fine. well. The the master student that has designed the lights is poetic and elegant and. Um, is also adding contemporary elements to it, which mm. I think is part of the playwright's intention, that mm-hmm. contemporary elements are colliding with those classical ideas as well. So mm. I, ca- I can't wait for you guys to see it. Very nice, very nice. It will be very surprising. Yeah, it sounds wonderful. And this next one, I, I had not heard of this one, and I was reading about it online, and I must see this. It's called Mr. Burns' A post-electric play. I've not heard of this before. It's this were, were you a, amazing. Were you, a, were you a Simpsons fan? Oh my God, yes. Uh, but, yes. So it, and I absolutely do, because I saw the way it was spelled, and I was like, ah, that's um, yeah, and I'm like that's the sideshow Bob episode. And I am. It's totally the sideshow yes. Bob episode. And I'm not going to give anything away. But we were in a production meeting this morning, arguing a little bit about how to present the car. <sighs> <laughs> and what happens with the car? And, oh my god! And I'm like, well, we gotta have the car. Got, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's mission critical to the episode. I mean, it is, and but it's actually, I mean, since you don't know the play, I'll be really curious to hear your thoughts. It's really poignant as well. It sounds like that because it's post-apocalyptic, so they're sort of remembering like the entertainment that they had from before the apocalypse of uh, this generic apocalypse, which this thing happened because it's not about the apocalypse. It's about what happened afterwards. So it happened and now they're in there and they're re-remembering all this stuff. And of course it's not quite right. And then I guess it takes place over several years. So over time, the play and the story sort of morphs and changes into something else. And by the end you have something that's completely different, but yet very meaningful. In it, a big it, way. It adds up mm. to a, a, a real sort of arresting idea. Um, and and you, you end up very affected. You think you're just going to go in and it's going to be, oh, it's all silly and not silly. Um, it's all satiric. And but it actually it's so it's it takes this turn and really grabs you. It's being beautifully realized by our artistic director, our interim artistic director, um, David Long, who's also um, the head of our performance faculty, and he had done the play um, in his at his previous artistic directorship when he was in Texas in Austin, and he's completely reimagining. You know, he doesn't want to do the same thing twice, sure. so he's reimagining how to do it, which really tells us how good the play is because you can do it in any kind yeah. of way. Ah, uh, oh, I must see it. And I think when I was doing a little bit of research on Anne Washburn, who is the playwright for this play, she's done at least a dozen plays and and won awards. She's won a Guggenheim. And she was inspired to write this play 
because of 9-11. Absolutely. And, and one of the things that I'm proudest of, and I, I, I said this to my colleagues when I joined the faculty, is that I was so impressed with the conscious effort to represent female writers and address the issue of gender inequity in the theater. So we not only have source material from, from one of the greatest authors of all time, but the adaptation is, is by a female writer. Um, uh, Mr. Burns was written by a female writer. The play we're about to talk about, Annie Baker, she wrote the flick. It's, it's, I mean, the representation is unmissable. So mm-hmm. I'm very proud of that. Yeah, and speaking of the flick, I've heard of it, but I didn't know much about it. And, and reading the reviews of it, it's actually quite funny. What what were they saying? Uh, never have never has so much been said with so little dialogue. The reviews are overwhelmingly positive. It's interesting because I wonder what those same critics would have said about Harold Pinter because of Annie Baker's style. I yeah. saw a gorgeous production at the National Theater in 2019 of her play called The Antipodes. Um, some of the most magical stagecraft I've ever seen, and it all takes place in a boardroom where they're all trying to ideate the next idea of, of, um, of advertising. But Annie Baker's writing is very spare, and it's one of the reasons that it's such a good acting. Um, it's, it's such, they're such good scenes for actors. Yes, what, reading you were about, to say about this. About no, reading about this, that's one of the things that it struck me, is that this is like an actor, quote-unquote, an actor's sort of play that, yeah, there may not be a lot of dialogue, but there's a a lot that happens, and the dialogue that happens is extremely important, and uh, I I don't know, it sounds like they're they're catching a lot of behavior, and very interesting. It's a banquet of subtext. Yeah, yes. (laughs) It's really spare. That's what it sounds like, yeah. And and it also teaches young actors that it's like the the pause isn't the purpose. The pause is for the thought. Do yes. you know what I mean? And yeah. you've got to drive your thought. You've always got to be on intellectual horseback the whole time, and you can't rely on text um, in the same way that you do in other contemporary dramas. She's a, she's a br- brilliant brilliant playwright. Yes. Mm. No, I I, I I I heard about it, but I didn't know about it, and I'm I'm fascinated to see it. What a uh, what a fun piece to do as an actor too. Yeah, totally, absolutely. Holy cow! And then you're going to end in in April with Big Fish. With Big Fish, which we musical. talked a little bit about. Yes, yeah. indeed. Well, do the other plays have any musical? I thought I saw a little bit of music. Well, in one Mr. Of them. Burns has quite a bit of yeah. music in it. We in that one, yeah. Uh, yeah. There, there isn't a lot of of necessarily like sh- show tunes but, right <laughs> but but we actually made a joke in the production meeting this morning that it's like the musical you know the musical version of the simpsons and i'm like yeah. are we talking about this play because we don't have an orchestra <laughs> and they were like no 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 we're we're sort of being hypothetical and yeah of, and a, a little bit glib about that <laughs> um but it's fantastic and i'm and, and again you know just to touch on big fish one more time it's it's such a sweet story of father and son and tall tales and yes. what what part of history is is is, is accurate and um the yeah. movie um i don't know if this is stupid you'll probably edit this out but um <laughs> billy crudup starred in the film yes along with um uh, albert finney uh, Albert Finney yeah. and Billy Crudup and I were apparently like separated at birth because a lot of people are like, you're so Billy Crudup. Oh my God. You know, I'll get okay. that and I'll 
<laughs> I'll get um, Aaron Eckert and I'll get, oh, you know, all sure. kinds of things. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Christian Bale. I'll tell you a little story really? about Christian Bale <laughs> in a, a second. Ba- okay. <laughs> but awesome. Billy Crudup was in, in the film and, and I, and when he did the morning show, I would get texts from my friends going, he, he's stolen everything from you. And I'm like, well, we kind of came up at the same time (laughs) and we've never really met. We met once at Lincoln center, (laughs) but he didn't really steal anything. It's just that we have this similar energy. And I, I always feel like I should play Brian Cranston's son and Billy Crudup's brother. (laughs) Oh my God. But I was, I was at the Beverly center in Los Angeles. I'm just, you'll edit this out, but I want to tell you the story that I was with my kid, you know, it, it sort of speaks to your sort of like, I know that guy. Yes. I had these two young teenagers just around the time that Christian Bale played Batman come running up to me at the Grove in Los Angeles, California. And my daughter, Kate, and I were waiting for a movie. And they went, you, you, we want your autograph. And I was like, oh, wow. My <laughs> All right. And so I signed. And they looked at it. And they, they were hang strat. And they said, we want the real one. And then. <laughs> My daughter said, he's not Batman. He was on Saved by the Bell. Okay? (laughs) And I'm like, of all the credits, of all the credits, you're going to pull that one out? And she went like this. Well, Dad, I have some bad news for you. They recognize you more from Saved by the Bell than they do from your Broadway career. <laughs> Hilarious. Oh, my gosh. Hilarious. I get no respect at home. Oh, oh that's sorry. so funny. <laughs> but it's good, though, because then you get to walk amongst everyone and not have to be chased. Yeah, no kidding. Absolutely. Which is Absolutely. I get to walk amongst oh. everybody. I was in Paris, and we walked into our Airbnb, and... The woman that was the land, the the landkeeper, or what do you, you don't call them that? The anyway, she was the the landlord. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, was taking us around, and she was like, "And here's the bath, and here's the kitchen, and I know you, don't I?" And I'm like, <laughs> "It was like seven in the morning, right?" And she goes, "I have seen you, yes." And I was like, "Well, I'm I'm an actor," and she goes, "I knew it, I knew it, I know you." <laughs> and I'm like I'm famous in Paris. I love that. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. Anyway, my well, traveling companion just you know he was the, the dean that I work with now. He just rolled his eyes and he's like, oh boy, <laughs> oh boy, here he goes. <laughs> here we go. That is awesome though. No. Well, well and it looks like an awesome season. Yes. And, and so how I mean, how is this for you? So. I haven't ever been in a university where I've never, I was a business major, so it, it's all foreign to me. So how, how do you put together a season as opposed to how a community theater would, season would put together? No, no, I think that's a really good question because you have to take in, um, it's all student-centered. Mm-hmm. So as opposed to just trying to program for your yeah. community, you are trying to program for your community, but at the heart of that is you are meeting your pedagogical agreement and your contract with your students. Mm-hmm. So for instance, you're sitting around a, a table and you're saying, well, we've got six plays, let's just say six plays. We wanna do a very, you know, we wanna make sure that it makes sense and that it's coherent and that it's entertaining, but it's also ticking all the pedagogical boxes. So mm-hmm. I've got this actor that's ready for this stretch. I've got that actor who's ready for this, but what what are the designers need? So we did a, a 30s play at the end of the season, last season. Let's mm-hmm. not do something in the 30s to the 50s. Let's do something on pier. Let's do, uh, you know, let's do a Scottish play. I can say Scottish play or, or Macbeth. I, there's no theater anywhere. 
somewhere in your uh, no. that's that's modern dress or do you need that to be gothic what do you need do we need to build an a, do we need a play that will support realism modern realism the kitchen sink drama or do we need something more expressionistic where we've got a lot of negative space and we're flying units in do we need projections it's one of the reasons that big fish came up because we need mm-hmm. we need to incorporate emerging media into the live performance setting and it's it's pastoral and it's beautiful and it's like paint they're like paintings yeah. um so there are all of those considerations and at the same time trying to meet the moment of representation and mm-hmm. um really really confronting um the ways that artists and a- actors and students feel marginalized and underrepresented and really bringing those voices amplifying those voices in your season mm-hmm. it's it's our responsibility as theater artists to do that mm-hmm. and yeah. it's a demand from our students and they will hold us accountable for that mm-hmm. so there's that but we also have to bring audiences along with that the 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 thing that i think audiences don't want anymore or ever did was to feel like they're being lectured or to feel like they're in school i i was privileged enough to do a play called angels in america and tony Mm -hmm. kushner the playwright was uh, in its as it was moving away from broadway and and the, the national tour and you know all the regional he sat in on a lot of the rehearsals and one of the things that he reminded us all of is that at the end of the day this play is entertainment that we come into the theater of course we come in for um evangelical purposes we come in for congregative purposes you know it's congregational but at the end of the day it is our responsibility to entertain yeah And don't take your, don't start being precious with the material, you know, honor it and Mm -hmm. be serious about it, but it can't be precious because at the end of the day, it's entertainment. Right. Yes. And it's still a balance. So you're, you're still balancing, you know, the kind of theater that you want to do and also catering to your demographic because you, you need, I mean, money, bottom line and and trying to balance that you don't necessarily have as much pressure as maybe a community theater would in that sense to uh to bring in we we are fortunate but but one of the things that is often misunderstood in the academic theater world is that ticket sales do support the curriculum you're right that we we, it's it's centered Mm -hmm. in in that way but that does not mean that we're not going to take risks or fulfill our contracts to the students Mm -hmm. we're going to put curriculum forward every single time over commerce yeah um, but it's yeah but it's really interesting and and we're sort of you know we're i can't believe we're still talking about the pandemic but it was a yeah. life-changing event it was that the culture is out of the habit of going to the theater i hope that's not what you all are finding um we, we have found that in the past but this year the summer kind of changed i think yes They're coming back year, aren't they yes mm-hmm. they are awesome. no and i i was i was telling this I was telling this story to somebody the other day that I was doing a production of The Rivals, uh, the Sheridan uh, Restaurant and Comedy at, in Washington, D.C. And I had a director give me one of the best acting notes in my early 30s. He mm. said, you're making the choices of a boy and this is a man. And mm. and I, mm. I, I was just I'd never heard I've never heard it that way. All he was asking me to do was stand still and. And it, it was such a good acting note. It was no, such a good acting that's note. That's a great. That's a better acting note than stand still. Yes, <laughs> much better acting note. And and 
just just to give you another one and you and you're welcome i'm giving this gift to you i did a <laughs> diet coke commercial i oh. I, I, I'm, I am i am unapologetic really? about how many commercial spokespersons i have been that's awesome but i was awesome. i was playing the pr- the newly elected president of the united states in the stay extraordinary diet coke campaign <laughs> yes <laughs> and we were filming at the fabulous forum and and you know i was the pre- I, it was such a long story i'll tell you sometime over a beer but the the director of the commercial wanted to give me a note about how quickly i was walking and he wanted me to slow down so he came up to me in between takes and he said hey hank you're the president of the united states you're never late (laughs) and walked away (laughs) and i went that is genius because he gave me an acting note and it affected my physical life my tempo my inner life my Mm -hmm. subtext and it allowed him to get his shot because they were busy chasing it was on on a steadicam they were like chasing me through the halls of the fabulous forum in inglewood california you know where the lakers were playing at the time and it was amazing I, i i actually think i remember that commercial <laughs> i don't well it ran on the oscars and it was yes. on the super bowl oh, and it was I, like I, it was pretty sure i remember that commercial <laughs> yeah. listen if we if we get drunk enough one night i'll like pull it up on youtube and i'll show it to you but... i think that's great i'm gonna go looking for it <laughs> i put my daughter through college on that diet that's Yay! awesome you. Yeah, oh, sure. exactly. oh, sure. yeah 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 no one, one of the most eye-opening things i ever saw is when michael kane started coming out with his book and talking about it he's like you know why i did jaws the revenge because it paid for my house in florida that's why he goes, I got a house ding, ding, out ding, of ding, it. Ding. Yeah, and he's like, right? He's like, yeah, you do stuff because it's good material, and you do that. But you also do stuff because, oh, you might like the people that are on the project, and it pays a lot of money, so you do it. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. you like the people. The project may be meh, <laughs> but the people were sure nice, and you sure yeah. got paid well. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. he's a working actor. And it's like, it was so refreshing to hear that. It's like, we don't have to be artists, artists, 100% of the time. Sometimes you got to pay the bills, too. Well, <laughs> I tried to be a music major, and my dad said, you better find something else to do. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah he, was, he was that parent that said, no, no arts for you, kid. Yeah. yeah. I know these parents out there, I hope these parents are listening. It's like so many of you have said to me, well, what if my kid doesn't make it on Broadway? What happens yeah. with this BFA in acting or BFA in musical theater or design? And I said, you know what they have? They have an incredible education yeah. and a degree from an R1 institution in yeah. critical thinking. Yeah. That's what they have. And if you don't think that's a marketable skill, let me sit down and tell you how wrong you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. It's incredible. Yeah, and it's critical thinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and and as 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 you know, and as as we well know, and 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 people who are are, are doing it, there's there's more to being an actor or director or whatever than being on Broadway or being in a movie or oh. being on a TV oh, show and and so the wide range of things that you can do oh, in this boy. quote unquote business whatever profession for sure incredible yeah. Yeah, and now more than ever, I mean, young artists are hyphenated. They're they're mm-hmm. actors, writers, content creators. They're business people. Yes. I mean, one of the smartest things I I saw, you know, Josh Brolin, who I'm not 
this Hank Stratton and Josh Brolin are not parallel terms, but we <laughs> did sit in an awful lot of audition rooms together. And I just Fair always enough. saw him knowing that he needed to be a business. And, you know, Tom Cruise knew he needed to be a business. Yeah. And so did Diane Lane. And so did Sandra Bullock. Yeah. They all knew Denzel Washington knew that he needed to be a business. And mm-hmm. it's really, really, really important to always instill that. So you were, you were saying you were a business major and it's like, I think every actor should take a business class and every business major should take an acting class um, so that we can learn from each other. I agree. Yeah. Especially with the actor part, taking some business classes. (laughs) That that is very helpful. That is very helpful. Well, wow, it is such a privilege to talk to you. And you guys are awesome. We are so I'm going to come here. I'm going to come see your play. Oh. Let's let's plug your play too. You're doing the nerd. Yes, the we're nerd. doing the nerd. When does that start? Uh, oh, October 20 or uh, 14th. 14th, yeah. Saturday the 14th. The oh my gosh, it's coming up. <laughs> so, it's coming yes. up. Yeah. And yes, everybody indeed. come and be with us at the Nebraska Repertory Theater. Oh gosh, I plan yes. on doing an awful lot of curtain speeches, so please, I encourage oh, all of you out wonderful. there listening to introduce yourself. I'm, I'm really anxious and 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 ready to get to know the community as much as I possibly can. So. Yeah, absolutely. So you're going to do a curtain speech every night, not just the first night. Apparently, you know. oh no, <laughs> maybe I'm, it's just it's my it's my way of sort of introducing mm-hmm. myself to our audiences sure. and just letting right. them know that they are welcome in our theater and, yeah. and I want to get to know them. That's great. Yeah. I always love curtain speeches. Yep, I like I've always, it. I've always loved it. I, I promise it won't be long. I'm sorry. Brevity is the soul of wit. Okay. I promise it will not be long. <laughs> it's all good. Well, welcome to Nebraska. We are just so honored to talk to you, and we hope to talk to you again. Thank you so much. This is going to be a great season. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much to Hank Stratton for talking with us today. Also, thank you to the Johnny Carson School of Theater and Film and the Nebraska Repertory Theater. The Nebraska Repertory Theater's 2023-2024 season is as follows. It starts with Sense and Sensibility. That's by Kate Hamill, based on the novel by Jane Austen. That runs from September 28th to October 7th in the Howell Theater. Next up is Mr. Burns, a post-electric play by Anne Washburn. That starts on November 9th and runs through November 18th in the Studio Theater. After that, starting on February 29th and running through March 9th is The Flick by Anne Baker, and that will be presented in the Studio Theater. And rounding out their 2023-2024 season is Big Fish. This is based on the novel by Daniel Wallace, music by Andrew Lippa, written by John August, book by John August. It's Big Fish. It's being presented in the Howell Theater on April 25th and running through May 4th. For tickets, go to NebraskaRep.org. Thank you for listening and supporting the arts in the Platte River area and beyond. Please subscribe to our podcast so you are sure to catch all of our future episodes and join us on social media. And if you like our content and would like to buy us a cup of coffee, you can do so at ko-fi, that's ko-fi.com forward slash Platte River Bard. See you next time on the Platte River Bard. <laughs>